1: Hey, welcome to the show. All right, I am very happy to welcome my friend and fellow wrong thinker, Gary Welch. Gary, glad to have you on board today.
2: And this is another fine example of what it means to be a wrong thinker. I, I, I think every day introduces new examples to us of saying, you know what, it's a good day to be a wrong thinker.
1: Yeah, I've actually, I, I've been toying with the idea that, uh, the the part of the, the branding for this program is uh, this is a place where people can get their recommended daily allowance of wrong think. I'm sure there are other sources, but uh, I'm just saying it's handy. You know about it. Might as well take advantage.
2: And I've actually um, wanted to do this for a little while now. I feel like this this episode, when we, we meet weekly to do the show with you and I that we should take it to another level and, and say it's, it's got to be more than just being a wrong thinker. It should have some kind of meat to it and that you can also take action and do something about being a wrong thinker. I think all of us, especially now recently, the, the last month or so is, is especially has been a scenario where the frustration level is going through the
1: roof. Yeah, in fact, this last week. For me, it has personally been one of those things where I'm like, really, who keeps dialing up the difficulty level? Because the last week has been intensely disturbing, and and actually, there's a phrase that I w- that I encountered today. It's called manufactured uncertainty, and I think that is an apt description of what we are experiencing on many different levels. The election outcome, at least at the national level, is one of them. Um, what we saw, Governor Herbert poll here in our home state of Utah last Sunday with uh, the emergency announcement and emergency orders and, and mandates that have been handed down regarding COVID. Um, I mean, the, the intensity has been dialed up and it's not you and me that are dialing it up.
2: Right. And, and what I'm afraid of is, is we wait too long. We let the frustration build and not take a little you know, don't release the pressure at all but it just you know let it build 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 and then you have the major explosion and and that's going to be a bad I- outcome for everybody. Let's not fool ourselves in saying well we'll take care of it this is going to be easy. You know, I always go back to the civil war. They thought that was going to be over in 4 months.
1: Yeah, not so. Remember
2: that? They were confident of that. They were absolutely positive. 4 months at best and we're and this thing's done. And you let it get to that point because of that thinking. If, you, if somebody said, hey, half of you are going to die, and this is going to last four years, and and you're going to destroy the whole country doing it, I think everybody would have said, let's try something different.
1: Well, we definitely have some hard questions ahead of us. I'm grateful you are here to discuss these today because uh, you are a principled and trusted friend. And I I shared this with you before we went on the air. I want to share this with you as well as the audience, just as as kind of a thought starter. Uh, A very dear friend of mine who I've known for probably the last 25 years reached out to me today and said, I have a question for you. She said, when was it the moral duty of the Germans to denounce Hitler and his government? And she asks, should they have just gone along to get along, or did they have a moral duty to stand against him? And specifically, she's wondering, are we now in the same place with the illegal, corrupt international cartel that has openly taken control of our government? And I would extend that to not just, you know, what's happening at the national level, but uh, even to what's going on right down to the state and local level. You know, there are things that are taking place that are, are immoral at best unethical, and in some cases, you know, that are that are very contrary to what proper government should be doing. And so the question I I would echo is, when is it the moral duty of a citizen to stand up and say enough? And what are the best ways to do that? And Gary, I know you came prepared today to talk about some of the tangible actions that we can and should be taking to make sure that we're not just going along to get along. So one of the biggest things that I think we're facing
2: here in the U.S. is we see things that we don't like, but I guess maybe we're comparing it to Nazi Germany and like, well, it's not that bad. It's not as bad as communist Russia. And so, you know, we excuse it all away. The other thing that I think is a really big issue for us and and if we're going to have change is we got to remember that every time you point a finger Three are pointing back at yourself. And and this is where it really gets into a, the issue of corruption and and what's going on. We always like to point at the other guys. They're corrupt. They're the ones that are doing things wrong. They're the ones that are being manipulated by corporations. They're the ones that are being fraudulent elections and all this other stuff. And we are afraid to simply look at our own side of it and say, you know what? My side's also corrupt, too. And I think that that has to be a starting
1: point. No, I agree. You know, if it's, if it's political, it is corruptible. Is that fair enough? I don't even...
2: I would, I would take off the word a bowl. Okay. If it's political, it's corrupt.
1: Okay. Because it's based in power. And Lord Acton Correct. was right. You know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And so the, the question is, how do you either reclaim or exert your own individual power without using it in a corrupt fashion. And this is a discussion that I would encourage you join us. 801-331-8113. I'd like to talk specifically about the actions taken in our home state of Utah uh, by Governor Herbert, among others in uh, in locking things down much harder, putting the the heavy penalties now against any uh, what they term illicit gatherings and so forth. I mean, we're to the point now where there are a lot of people going, well, it sounds like uh, Thanksgiving's off the table as far as uh, having family come and and visit. And I don't believe for a moment this is something that is legitimately government's purview. Now, that doesn't mean we're denying that uh, that covid isn't a, a real problem. But uh, let's talk a little bit about this. First of all, Gary, I want to get your reaction uh, when when the emergency announcement came down. Did it, first of all, did you get the emergency tones and everything? You know, to to help uh, spike that fear a little bit in your life. That was the first thing that bothered me to no end.
2: Was how dare you use an amber alert? An amber alert. Yeah, I mean, we 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 put those things on our phones to alert us because we recognize that when those things go out, there's an imminent danger to a, to a person's life and we need to be aware of it. And then you take that thing and you say, hey, I've got this big announcement I want to make at nine o'clock. Oh, my goodness. That that sent me through the roof. Like, what kind of idiot are you?
1: (laughs) Yeah. The only thing that could have made it worse is if his announcement would have been about a great new multi-level marketing, uh, you know, scheme that he had had encountered and wanted everybody to know about because this is a great opportunity. But I'm with you. Anger was my first reaction, which actually surprised me. I heard the tones and went, what the heck? And then my wife started reading it off her phone. Oh, yeah, they want us to tune into the TV at 930 and and he's going to be talking about more COVID restrictions. And I went, you got to be kidding. Could you blatantly play to people's fears any more than you're doing right now, Governor? And this goes to the
2: point that we just made a little while ago, which is this. Okay, you're saying, well, maybe you don't live in Utah. So you're saying, well, that's Utah. You guys, you're going to deal with this. But understand this Brian and I live in a state where there is a Republican governor, a Republican legislature. The vast majority of local county and city offices are by what's so called conservative Republicans. Um, I think we both live in a county that is called the most conservative county in the United States of America. It's a brand they gave and they gave to themselves. And we just had a governor in November come out and says, guess what? We're doing it again. And here's my thing. I was mad on Sunday. I was livid on Monday because nothing came out. Nothing came back and said, no, you don't. We're not going to do this. We're not going to let you. It was just crickets.
1: And I asked you this off the air, but I'm going to ask you again for the benefit of our listeners. Who did you expect to be the first one standing up and going, no, sir, that will not fly?
2: The legislature.
1: The, the, for their own
2: self-interest, they should have. They yeah. should have done it.
1: No, I, I agree. it's and, and if people wonder why, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's... The legislature's job is to make laws. The governor's job is not to make laws. But these mandates are being handed down as if they have the force of law and, and they're being pursued and enforced as if they were law. And there's a that's a stepping over the line that we cannot allow to go unanswered. Now, the good news is there are some legislators stepping up. We're going to cover that just the other side of our break. Gary Welch is my guest. We invite you to, to join us on the telephone. 801-331-8113. We'll be back right after this.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: This is The Brian
0: Hyde Show.
1: All right, welcome back to the show. Fellow wrong thinker Gary Welch is with me today, and we are talking about what are the actions we can take? What can we do we know something's wrong. I mean, come on. Nobody's fooling themselves. Everything's great. The house is burning down around us. This is just fine. No, we know something's wrong, but the question is what to do. And we have a caller standing by. Caller, thanks for holding on. Welcome to the show.
3: Hi, Brian. Hope you have a good day. Gary, appreciate you being on the show. Um, I'm an acquaintance with, with Gary from the past. In fact, we've been at some of the past uh, rallies, I guess you'd call that, uh, in the past uh, down here in Utah County. But... Uh, yeah, you know, I just call and say, yeah. Same thing. I mean, one thing we can do, you know, I don't know for sure, but I know uh, for me and my family, we're still going to have Thanksgiving as a family. Um, uh, in fact, I was just uh, talking to one of my children last night that we have this arranged with, and I asked them how you feel about this. You, you want to call Thanksgiving? They said, oh, no, absolutely not. We're still getting together, and so we will have more than one household together, and we're just going to go on as planned. Uh, COVID has not. Uh, seriously uh, hit us yet to have one child that did get it but you know they got through it easily actually and uh, you know I, I personally I have no real fear of COVID myself I know I could have had it already who knows but I also know that uh, if I do get it uh, I, I believe I live a healthy enough lifestyle where my body is healthy enough where I'll get over it real quick and I think yeah that is, a lot of these things have been overblown I don't know what science the governor, the governor is using and maybe that's the question. One of the questions that we ask uh, the governor and, and his staff is, uh, what science are you using to to tell us all this stuff? And, uh, you know, try and attack it from that standpoint. But however, whatever good that will do, you know, they pretty much have their mindset, and that's the way it's going to be in their eyes.
1: Well, I I appreciate you weighing in on this, and I wish you and your family the very best for Thanksgiving. Thanks so much for your call. Appreciate it. All right, Gary, give me your thoughts uh, on on what the the caller had to say.
2: Well, that is actually a a very good solution. In fact, when, when we talk about how do we stop this, I think one of the first things is don't recognize the power. Don't acknowledge the power. Don't acknowledge that they can't do it. One of the things that's been always pointed out, and you and I have done this quite a bit since this whole thing started, Nobody's getting fined. Nobody's being sent to jail. Here in Utah, they're taking this very kid glove approach to this kind of thing. And, and government, Governor Herbert's comments alone indicates that, you know, he's saying, how come this is not working? How come these, these rates are going up? How come people are getting infected? And the answer is, you know, the obvious answer is because we're not doing what you told us. And I think that that's part of of the solution is to simply say, if I feel there's a threat, if I feel like my life's in danger, I will take the appropriate action to safeguard myself. But just because you come out and say, hey, I'm going to do this, if we all don't do it, what power does the law have? Really, I mean, what power do they
1: have? So peaceful civil disobedience, which, uh, you know, I— As much as it rankles me, I still think that uh, far more people have observed social distancing. Far more people have worn the masks. I don't know what the compliance rate is. I have heard it's upwards of 80 percent, which to me makes it kind of questionable. Then, well, then, uh, why are we still seeing, you know, so many infections? And I think you actually had a good answer to this, Gary. And that's because um, when when government stepped in and started trying to force this and, and really twist people's arms... They never controlled the virus. They just delayed it.
2: So let's have this conversation. And, and, and I really need to get this word out so that people understand what this is really all about and the damage that is, that is occurring. And the first question we have to ask ourselves is, why is this going on in November? Why is this happening in November? So, Brian, let me ask you this. Question number one, what
1: is the flu season? Um, I believe it's uh, what, November through February? Pretty close, October to May. Okay. Okay.
2: Why does it end in May? Is it because the CDC says, hey, viruses, it's it's May, you guys got to shut down now because we've declared (laughs) that the flu season's
1: over. Is that what happens? I think it's because uh, the weather is better and we're outside and not cooped up with other people as much.
2: Mm, Sort of, kind of, but I'll tell you kind of what really happens. And and we'll get into the vaccines in just a little bit. So what happens is flu viruses are flu viruses. COVID is not a new disease. COVID is not a new virus. It is a mutated flu virus. Okay, so you conspiracy theory guys go out there. If you want to say it was man-made mutated, great, go for it. I don't think it, but just the same. It is a flu virus. And what happens with the flu virus, it goes through a period where it starts a mass infection. Herd immunity starts picking up. But then what happens is it mutates. And it turns into something else. And then that's what shows up next year. But here's the thing. It always goes down in May. And we, and we declare that that's over. And we say, okay, now the new virus that has came out, is a new virus, and we treat it differently because it's mutated. That has not happened with COVID. And the reason why it hasn't happened was because we tried to stop it, which was so stupid to think. I mean, how egotistical can you be to say, I have the power over Mother Nature, I have more power than God, and I can stop this because I'm a governor oh, my goodness, where is your head when you're thinking something like that? You're not going to stop it. The best you can do is slow it down, and that's exactly what they did. But then that narrative said, well, we're trying to. But here's the the consequences. We're now in November, and this thing is hanging around because we didn't build the immunities up. And here's the thing I'm going to say, and this is probably going to get me in trouble, but I'm going to tell you, I think Governor Herbert, is in Utah is just as guilty as governor Como in New York for the deaths that are occurring right now. Every one of those people who died, buddy, that's on your doorstep. Why? Because nobody can stay isolated for 11 months. What are you thinking? You actually think that, that we could have done this. If you just would have done the right thing, which is isolate the people for three months, maybe two months. Let everybody else go and do your just the normal thing. The thing that everybody was saying was the right thing to do. Herd immunity would have took place. This thing would be over. Yes, it, it would have mutated, and we would have a new COVID. But the whole thing of it is, is now those herd immunities would also still be helping with that. And then when we come back from the break, let's talk about the whole vaccination thing about you know how we're going to do that.
1: Just to clarify, too, when you talk about uh, you isolate the people you're talking about protecting the vulnerable, right? Yes,
2: absolutely. This, those, it, this is again, a, flu bugs. What do flu bugs do? If you're a healthy human being, you get a little bit of symptoms, you know, just like our caller was saying, yeah, one of my kids got it. And you know, I think I got it had some bad symptoms and that was that. But if you're vulnerable, if you have, you know, immunity issues, if you have other issues, respiratory issues, it kills you. This is just a little more deadly. But at the, na- you know, at the end of the day, healthy people did not die from this. And I, I, I will fight that till the end of my days.
1: Well, and, and again, this is to me one of the reasons why I think government is way out of its lane in trying to lock us down and make everybody take the same, you know, scaredy cat approach. We've got to hide from it until the virus is gone. no. It's survivable. For people who aren't in the high-risk category, meaning 70 and above with comorbidities, the survival rate is still above 99%. Why do we act like this is the bubonic plague and, you know, it's, it's killing everyone who gets it? At any rate, we'll take a quick break. Gary Welch is my guest, and we'll be back to continue our discussion right after these messages.
0: The Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian Hyde Show.
1: All right, wrong thinkers, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. Our program is brought to you in part today by Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. Now, if you live in or around the Wasatch Front in northern Utah, it would be worth your t- it'd be totally worth your time to go to Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse if you just think you're going to be passing through Salt Lake anytime soon i'm going to suggest this is one of the best places to stretch your grocery dollar and you can find out more by going to facebook actually just look up Nikki's N-I-C-K-E-Y-S, Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse. Paul always takes a ton of pictures of whatever has come in new for that week or for a couple of times in the week he'll update it. I mean, it could be a 40-pound box of frozen chicken wings um, ready for you to, you know, put a, put aside in your freezer. A lot of folks are stocking up right now. <laughs> Call me weird, but it's like they, they sense that uh, there's a little bit of crisis in the wind. Well, if you want to make your money go as far as it can go, Nikki's Wholesale Food Warehouse is a terrific place to do it, and it would uh, mean a lot to me if when you go in there, as you hand over your card to pay for your purchase, and yes, they accept all major credit cards, they accept EBT, everything comes with a money-back guarantee, be, but be sure to tell them, I came here because I heard Brian talking about you and wanted to give me give you my business. There we go. All right, Gary, let's, uh, let's continue our discussion about uh, what we could and should be doing. Regarding the way that government is handling the COVID crisis. And and I like the fact that you are, are making very clear. We're not downplaying the disease. We're not trying to pretend that this is just a figment of somebody's imagination. But at the same time, we're not chasing various conspiracy theories either.
2: And so this goes into how do you frame your argument and and. Here's something that I see that those of us that are liberty-minded or would classify ourselves as conservatives and right-leaning and, and all those other terms. One of the things that we always do is we fall for the bait from the left. The, the left comes out and they say something, and then we have to react with a 180. We, we can't just simply go... Okay, there's some of that. That's true. Or, yeah, that's right. But maybe your your response to it is wrong. No, we've got to shut it all down. You're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. And everything that you said is wrong. And we always fall for this every time we fall for this. And they do it on purpose because they know we're going to come out there and say things like, you know, this is not a deadly flu bug. This is, this is all made up. And there's these conspiracy theories and things like that. And they love that. And my point is, even if you're right, even if you're right, if they don't believe it, you're not going to convince them to make changes. They just dismiss you. And, and let's go back to the Nazi Germany, you know, that, 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 um, that's that story and how it relates Everybody knew who Hitler was. He wrote Mein Kampf early enough that you got his flavor. Man, you knew where he was. But if in the 1930s, if you were speaking up against him, guess what? Man, this guy's putting us back on the economy. He's starting our industries. We have autobonds getting on the place. We are building up our army. We're building up our pride. And if you're sitting there saying, this guy's going to kill the Jews, he's going to kill the Jews, everyone's going to like, yeah. But if you would have had the argument about, hey, everybody, did you read this book? I think that that would have been like a good argument to have in the very beginning.
1: Well, I know that uh, most people are going to be familiar with Godwin's law. If you haven't heard of Godwin's law, you'll at least be uh, familiar with the idea that, oh, someone's made a Hitler comparison. And that's often that's used to shut down any discussion at that point. Well, you brought up Hitler. Therefore, nothing I say or nothing you say should be considered. And you pointed this out earlier, Gary, but I, I think it bears mentioning again. We don't have to be in the process of recreating the Third Reich in order to call out things that are taking us in the same totalitarian direction. We don't have to be undergoing a Bolshevik revolution in order to recognize that we're moving away from freedom, moving away from protecting the rights of the individual, and towards that, uh, that flavor of collectivism that tramples everyone underneath its feet who doesn't fall in line and adhere, you know, rigorously to the party dogma. It's more the direction that we're traveling then uh, then is it a perfect apples to apples comparison but uh, for some reason people have that absolutist point of view drilled into their heads well if you can't show me where there are Nazi stormtroopers goose stepping around and taking the Jews away on cattle cars then it's not a fair comparison and and I, i'm are you familiar with the book uh, they thought they were free by Milton Meyer have you heard of that one before i've heard of it but i have not read it it's a marvelous book and it he talked to German citizens about what happened between 1933 and 1945. And the perception that the overwhelming majority of them had during that time where Hitler came to power and and really started to show his true colors was that they were free. The problem was those who recognized that something was wrong were just sure if we just wait long enough, there's going to be something that's going to cause this huge shock to go through the population. And all at once, everybody's going to recognize, oh, yeah, this is totally wrong. And we're all going to stand up united and say, you can't do that. And we're going to you know, put an end to it. But that's not how it works. And he explains that they, they went just incrementally, little by little, on cat's feet. Each new encroachment by government was not that much worse than the one that came before. So if you didn't complain before, well, why are you complaining now? And by the time most people with a conscience recognized we have a real problem here. In, in, in one guy's case, it was a professor um, that he interviewed. Uh, Milton Meyer says this professor said that the first real indication that he knew something was terribly wrong was when his five-year-old boy said something as they walked by a Jewish guy. And he heard this the five-year-old sneer, Jewish swine. And dad's eyes opened up like, holy cow, where did that come from? But by then, it was a lot harder to speak out. And those who did speak out often uh, paid first politically and and maybe career wise. And then ultimately, uh, the prices got a lot steeper. So you can't wait for everybody to arrive at the same place and say, okay, we agree this is this is not good. Somebody has to recognize it and be willing to stick their neck out early on. Even when it's dangerous to do so and and maybe we could talk a little bit more about what we mean by stick your neck out what what would that look like that that would not cross the the boundaries of ethics and and basically make you uh, become what you're ostensibly standing up against?
2: Well, for me, it is also about one of the criticisms that I have about third parties where I, and I'm very critical of third parties because I've I've worked very closely with them, and, and I've been incredibly frustrated by them. And one of the big frustrations that I have with them is you may be right, but you're not effective. Being right does no good if nobody knows about it. Being right does no good if nobody's following you. Being right does you no good, other than this moral high ground where you go to bed and I feeling like, you know, with your chest puffed out, like, yeah, I'm right and everybody's <laughs> wrong. Okay, great. But when they come busting down your door, you know, you can puff your chest out and say, well, see, I was right just before they shoot you. Okay? you got to be effective. And that's the thing is how can you be effective in how you call changes? Those who have made changes, the revolutionaries like like Gandhi and our founding fathers, they were not only right, they were effective. And their mythology for being effective was the way. So with COVID... This is how the approach that we, we I want to talk about, how to be effective. And one of the things is, if you go with the conspiracy theories, if you go with them, you know, they're manipulating things and they're all in control, guess what? You're saying to everybody, these guys are very powerful. They're very smart. They know what they're doing. They have all these things under control. There's nothing you can do. Give up and go home. What if the narrative, though, goes into something like these guys are inept? They messed up. Big time. Governor Herbert killed a bunch of people in the last two months because what he did back in March was the absolute wrong thing to do, not because it's a power thing to him, but simply because he's just an inept individual like most government people. If I tell you government's inept, are you going to sit there and have a big argument with me, Brian? Are you going to sit there and say, yo, guy, you're wrong?
1: No, that's that's a good point. That's a much easier sell than, uh, than the the carefully constructed conspiracy of they're all in this together and the Chinese Communist Party's behind it and and the Trilateral Commission. <laughs> I I get what you're saying, and I think one of the things that holds people back too, though, is the idea that well you're making this personal or you're you're blaming people. It's okay to to assign blame where there is blame, and and maybe those leaders acted in good faith initially. But the fact that they refuse to admit, OK, what we're doing isn't working is a big problem. And, and I think you were the one who pointed this out to me. And that is, it's like uh, every time they realize, hey, what we're doing isn't uh, having the intended effect, they double down and think, maybe we should do more of it. And it's not giving us something that uh, is, is working very well. We'll continue our conversation here in just a few moments. Gary Welch is my guest. We'll be back after these messages.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: All right. Welcome back to the show. I am joined by fellow wrong thinker, Gary Welch. And Gary, I love the direction that this discussion is going. I like that we're we're giving some very concrete examples of action that people can take. But I want to bounce a question off you. Um, one of the actions that I saw people take here a few weeks ago that caused no small stir was people protesting in front of Dr. Angela Dunn's home. She's the state epidemiologist, and boy, was there outrage on the part of all officialdom! How dare people do this? What was your take? on those protesters uh, standing out there on the sidewalk in front of her home, making their voices heard?
2: Well, I actually know the people who put that together. Um, uh, they, they, they told me afterwards, and I did not participate in it. I was kind of like, eh, yeah, no. I mean, I got what their point is. But here's the thing that, that when, when Governor Herbert reacted to it, now she was visibly upset. I get that. There was some emotional trauma that she experienced because of that. But here's the point. Why does she get a get out of jail card, you know, get out of jail card free card when she is the one that orchestrated this? She wasn't elected. She's a bureaucrat. She was appointed. But she made decisions and she enacted those direct those health care directives or those health department directives are coming from her, not from the governor. And 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 if, for those of you who don't know how important that is here in Utah County, I was told once that if the governor says to do something, we can ignore it. We can we can fight it. But if the health director, if the health department says to do it,
1: we can't ignore it. Yep, they and do. So- they do have extraordinary powers under Utah law. And that's something right. that I know some legislators are looking at clarifying in the upcoming legislative session. But but I like what you're asking and, and, and I would echo it. Where is the accountability, particularly if these you know, leaders, whether they be appointed bureaucrats like like Dr. Dunn or whether they be elected like the governor, if they make a bad decision or they make a decision that is not bearing the fruit that it's supposed to be bearing, where's the accountability
2: Now, so one of the things that was not reported was why were they there? Those protesters were there... Because they have been asking Dr. Dunn for a very long time, put some transparency in this. What was the decision-making process? How did you guys come up with this? What what alternatives did you look at? Did you look at these other alternatives, like the Swedish solution or the South Korean solution or the South Dakota solution? You guys, what where was the process for making these decisions? And they were not getting any. They were getting stonewalled, and they felt like, okay, you need to know. That you are not above the law, you are not above us. You are our employee, and if we want to 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 get you to 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 start talking to us and telling what's going on, we have every right to stand in front of your house. It was a peaceful protest. They didn't go under a yard. They didn't do anything. They stayed in the street. There was only fifteen people there, which to me says, hey, that's a very effective strategy because you had fifteen people and you got on the news. Oh yeah, you know if. I've, I've, I've seen these protests that were, you know, we had thousands of people and they gave us like a, you know, two second. Oh yeah. There was some people out in the park protesting. Okay. So what? And off they went. This one got to attention, but the thing we should be asking ourselves is why does she get off? Why, Why does she get away with this? Just because she wasn't elected says she can do whatever she wants. Hey, guess what people, the bureaucrats are running things. It's not the elected ones. It's it's the bureaucrats. These appointed people that are doing, it. Fauci, who elected him, guess what he's done. Come on, he should be held accountable.
1: And and where and where is the accountability when people are actually being harmed? Now you and I've talked about this a lot this year. It's not just a matter of well, I was inconvenienced because I wanted to go get Chinese food and it was hard to do because of this and that. We're talking about businesses that did no harm, that posed no threat, who nonetheless were told, well, you're not essential, so you have to shut down. Or uh, the, the social distancing guidelines were such they couldn't possibly accommodate enough clientele to keep their business afloat. Where's, where's the accountability for the decisions and the people who made those decisions that put those businesses under through no fault of their own?
2: And we can even step it up if you want to, to go back again to how long can you protect those who are vulnerable? Can I protect them for two weeks? Maybe. Yeah, probably. Can I protect them for a month? Yeah, maybe. Three months? Difficult, but maybe now, four months, five months, six months? No, it starts breaking down, and that ability to protect those individuals that are vulnerable start breaking down. And because of your decisions as a a director of the Department of Health, the, the, the recommendations you were given, the suggestions you were given, and saying, no, let's just tr- shut this all down, let's destroy these businesses, let's do all these things— And we'll extend it out till so that in November, this this bug is still hanging around when it should be long gone. Aren't you even accountable for those that have caught it in at this time of year?
1: A good point. Um, My understanding is there were also people protesting at the governor's mansion as well as his personal residence. I, I didn't realize there was a difference. You know anything about that, Gary? Again, it's it's more about
2: getting into his face and knowing about. Him. There are folks, I mean, conservatives and those who are liberty-minded, we tend to be people that says, look, I'm not an in-your-face type of person. We tend to be doing more things quietly and, and whatnot. But there is a growing trend on our side of things simply because of the frustration level. If you push people hard enough, if you push them long enough, they're going to get out of their comfort zone. And they're going to say, "No, guess what? We're getting in your face," and and that movement, at least here in Utah, is growing. I I, I last time I checked, I think it's something like thirty thousand strong now.
1: Oh wow! Well, as you said early on in the show, um, it's the people who say, "Well, that doesn't really affect me," or "I do." There's nothing I can do, so I won't get involved. Um, folks, you you have to realize you have a stake in this matter. You have a dog in this fight, so to speak. And so uh, sooner or later, the the question of pass or play is going to be forced upon you. now it's it's easier right now to make that stand than it is when um, there are armed individuals standing on your doorstep with a needle to stick in your arm, and you have to decide, do I play along? Or do I, you know, forcibly find myself being vaccinated against my will? And that's what's really is scaring me, because from what I'm hearing is they
2: are going to make it so that you cannot work. Where did we hear this before? You cannot work. You cannot have a business. You cannot do anything unless you comply with what we tell you to do. And wear this armband.
1: Well, maybe they'll have the armband. Maybe it'll be more of an electronic kind of marker. But... But the point is still the same. It's it's coercion and it's being applied selectively to bend people to the will of, of those who are acting under authority.
2: So my point is, if we can have an effective argument now, an effective argument, not a right argument, an effective argument that gets people to sit there and go, you know what, you're right. I do believe in these things. I do understand these things. And I'm going to do something about it, which is don't sit there and and fight the disease. Fight the things that they did and put it in the frame of mind that we already accept, which is one, government officials are inept. They're no more smarter than we are. In fact, in a lot of cases, they're stupid. And government is corrupt. If you put those two arguments together, you're going to get people going, yes, I agree with you.
1: Gary, we've got about 90 seconds here, but talk to me about nullification at the county and city level.
2: This is something that I think that has been, especially again with third parties is like, you guys don't get it. You're sitting there trying to win president and governor and all that other stuff. Go after your local elections, go into these cities and these counties. Let me put it to you this way. Guess what would happen? The governor on Sunday issues all these directives and every city council and every county council in the state of Utah says, nah, we're not going to do it. Boy, think about how that would look.
1: Right. Right. And and I'm sure the governor would want to use some, you know, level of coercion. But I'm aware of at least one sheriff, and I'm sure there's more than one throughout the state. But I know of one for sure who has already told uh, those uh, within his constituency he will not have his deputies enforcing mask mandates.
2: Yeah. And it, when, when it comes time for the stick, the needle in the arm, I hope there's somebody out there supporting me because I'm not going to do it. I'm, you're not going to do it.
1: Uh, this is where we have to have each other's backs. Okay. Let's give them one more call to action. Gary, what do you want to see our listeners do? Get this word out. Just
2: take this show and share it with somebody. And just simply say, hey, listen to this. I think these guys are making some good points. And, and, you know, so that this information can get out to people about how can we fight this war?
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show.